Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your word. We're grateful for our constant recourse to it. We'd ask that it would refresh us today. In your son's name, amen. We're looking at 2 Timothy, starting midway through chapter 3. And you know, when you look at the word, um, what you're thinking about at the time, to a certain extent, you're eisegeting all the time. That means reading stuff into the passage. But it may be that, hopefully you're not making stuff up and putting it in the Bible, but your exegesis has different eyes on it, different years. You know, one of the things I do when I plan a sermon is I have a record of when I preached on it last, and it's probably been, I don't know, almost 10 years since I was in this section. Um, and that allows me a certain amount of time for my thoughts to be going into different arena of our Christian lives. And so when I see the passage again, it's not what was said before was incorrect, but you're seeing different aspects of what you hope the apostle or prophet is saying. And uh, I'll give you an example. Looking here in 2 Timothy 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 10. Now you have observed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings, what befell me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And I put in bold that first list of things, teaching, conduct, aim, faith, patience, love, steadfastness, persecutions with suffering, so that you would see that he's asking Timothy to remember what he's seen in his life, and then said, I'm stressing in red that you've seen it, what you observed, what you have, now, what you have observed my teaching. Now, now usually that doesn't, yeah, that's not the set of words that's going to stand out to me. But recently, I have been uh, wrestling over issues of, of no interest to you, um, in which I was talking to uh, Al Geyer a couple nights ago, and uh, we were talking about the nature of uh, what is the will interested in? What is it? We talked about where you place yourself in life, how high you place yourself in life, and one thing that came up in our discussion, the only thing I could call it is focus. And I was a photographer's mate in the Navy. And so focus mattered. Um, I see somebody's Facebook page, and they put up a new profile pic, or they put up a deer shot of them standing in some dimly lit bar with their wife. And I always type in, focus is our friend because they don't. They don't focus. I mean, all it takes is checking to make sure that all the pixels are tighter than they were, than people who don't realize you can't blow up a bitmap image that big and have it look good. Focus. Because what do you do when you focus? When you go to the doctor, the uh, ophthalmologist, and 
he gives you a new pair of glasses or, or Dr. Leach gives you a, a, a LASIK surgery and you wake up the next morning without putting glasses on and everything is in focus. You know it matters so much. Leslie got uh, a new set of contacts here recently and, and she's got one for, because she, she can do this, one for distance and one for close up. So her mind just switches which eye is dominant when she's, uh, I just get nauseated. Uh, because you know as you age um, how, how difficult not seeing, not being able to pull and tighten everything in. Now, the reason focus is important, not just in visuals, I mean, when I say focus about the nature of your will, is you are, have this task of reading, apprehending the world around you with as much clarity as you can get. Because you will not, you've got a task of juggling you, what your will can move, against what is that you see. If you don't know how people are, if you don't know the Word of God, if you don't know basic physics, if you don't know how to tie your shoes, you're going to be discommoded. You're going to fail in a lot of life if you don't know how to balance your checkbook. Focus is, you might say, the degree of clarity you have about what you apprehend. So I want you to be thinking about that. You have observed in your Christian life, what have you looked at? He's talking to Timothy here. Like, uh, like Mark mentioned, that Timothy was his go-to guy for apostolic delegate, and, and so much of the good that he was doing in his ministry was exercised by Timothy. What are you like? Are you one of Paul's disciples? Have you followed him as he has followed Christ? Have you looked at St. Paul and said, yes, I want to be that. I want to be... Um, I want to be that kind of Christian. Have you observed his teaching, his conduct, his aim, his faith, his patience, his love, his steadfastness? Because how we, how we uh, position ourselves in life is going to be in relationship to what we have chosen to look at and value. And one of the things that we're automatically finding ourselves veering off of St. Paul and Timothy in this is, he says, you, you, you've seen how successful my ministry was, right? You know, how I got beat up in every town? We, don't, we normally would not think that that was successful ministry. But he thinks it's just natural to the ministry. Indeed, Verse 12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceivers and deceived. He just outlined the nature of the church today. Okay? And he's, gonna, he's telling you, almost prophesying, that the righteous are going to lose in everything that we, every metric that we um, lay out of success in the ministry. 
And it says all the bad guys, all the people who are faking Christianity, will succeed. I'm going to shut this door. We have a screaming. Purgatory is used. You gotta shut the doors to purgatory. But I don't know if you heard it. It's just coming bouncing up off the back wall here. There was justice being meted out. Um, when you're looking for clarity, you better look at the right thing the right way. He warned you in the first century. I was, I was having a debate with a friend of mine just last week, um, and she was a vigorous and capable debater. And uh, and there was this supposition we were fighting over the apostolic fathers. I was not for them. She was. And I was saying, you do know that the apostles warned us about false teachers. And from the first century on. And what makes you think that the false teachers didn't win? Because the false teachers, evil men and imposters, will go from bad to worse, deceivers and deceived, and the godly will get persecuted. So, what are, when you think about the benefits of your Christian life, when you think about what I'm trying to build... Most of you are young. Some of us are not. You've got a lot of time, God willing, to put something together that is, is a credit to the kingdom of God. What is a credit to the kingdom of God? What have you focused on? What are you measuring it by? I don't mean it because you know, you know that those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. As I point out in the notes, it is also true if you don't bathe, you will be persecuted. People won't like you. So don't think like the Montanas that you have to check off the box of persecution because it might be because you're an awful human being. It might be because you're a godly human being. Um, Real godliness, just as a suggestion for your thinking, real godliness will always be not supportive of popular success. Okay? It will always undercut popular success. Popular success can happen, can be thrust on a person, even the non-bathing, as I also point out. Rasputin didn't bathe either and everybody followed him in Russia. But those are Russians. We know that, that um, you don't want to ever count and say, oh, there's only going to be a few of the chosen, and look, we have few in this church, so we must be the chosen. That rationality doesn't work. But you have to know that the more you follow Jesus Christ, the less popular you're going to be with most people. You might be very popular with those who love righteousness. You might be very popular with those in your body. Uh, but recognize that you're not, that popularity is not the thing you're going for, 
for. The imposters believe that's what they're going for, and so that's what they gear their ministries to be based on. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I started back in chapter 3, where I did, taking it down to midway through 4, because of, largely because of this section right here. Because I want you to have the right motivation for doing what you're doing and learning what you're doing and valuing what you're valuing and focusing on what you should focus on because you always have to have an inertial force to focus on something, to do something in your life. And too often the church or the kingdom of God, all the imposters or all the evil men, the embarrassing elements of the church, are pushing us to wrong inertial forces to win the world for Jesus. There's nothing wrong with winning the world for Jesus, but it isn't in the cards. It isn't going to happen. We should be faithful with the gospel. But as soon as we say, win the world for Jesus, (coughs) we have to cheapen the gospel to get them to believe it. We have to twist the gospel to get them to be in it. We have to make allowances in the church. What are people doing now in evangelical churches regarding certain sins that have become so popular in the world that if we don't say they're popular too, if we don't get along with the, good, the, the cool kid club, we're going we're gonna to lose ground. But because I believe that that's what the success of the kingdom should be, I start giving away the kingdom to get that success. What you see for Paul, it says... Continue in what you've learned, what you firmly believed. Knowing from whom you learned it. You know it's true, and you know it was true in your teachers. That it has to do with your salvation, and you know it is good. Now, it also makes it clear that it's in the sacred writings. It doesn't give you a list of what the sacred writings are, but let's just say you're pretty close with the Bible you have. The Old Testament you have, the New Testament you have. Being able to be instructed by the sacred writings. When we were singing the hymns, I was thinking of this. I, I was raised in a hymn-singing household, and my dad sung hymns to me as lullabies. And I still remember certain hymns in terms of their lullaby quality, uh, along with Anchors Away, which also uh, pounding on the mattress while Anchors Away was being sung. Um, so I grew up And my dad kept hymnals in the car, under the seat. So embarrassingly, when we were 14 and a fellow teenager was being driven somewhere that was not related to us and my dad pulled out the hymnals, you could not imagine the shame that we felt. The hymn singing family, the Von Trapp family singers um, singing Charles Wesley hymns. After I got past the, the conceit, Getting back to singing hymns. Remember, singing hymns in um, 
the phone booth across from the barracks um, where I was stationed because you get great acoustics at a phone booth and if you're singing alone you want to be able to hear what's going on you stand in a phone booth and sing. I have a little uh, intervarsity uh, hymnal take over there. And I, I, we sing hymns, you know, we have hymn books at home and, and both intervarsity and the great hymns of the faith because you never know. You want the better version of and can it be than the one in our hymnal. So I'm all about hymns. You say, why is he going off about hymns? Because as we were singing the hymns, I said, what if these hymnals were all taken away from us? Where would the church be? Probably two hymns, one verse each. Because that's all we'd remember. Right? Even musically. My father told me, I don't know if he was making this up, but back in the 1700s, hymnals had no music. They just had the lyric. And it, they didn't actually dictate to you that much a tune. People just sang what they wanted to sing as they went through the hymn. So you just have this noise. It's not like a charismatic church with tongues going on. What would happen if you had no hymnal? What do we have it written down for? Why does Evan ask for Leslie to write out a list of what she wants him to get at the grocery store before he leaves? Because he will forget. I don't care about groceries. I don't care what I was sent to get. I don't commit it to my soul. Give me a post-it note, even if it's over two things, if it's over one thing. One thing I can remember. Two things, you've got to have a list. Now why write it down? It matters enough to remember. The sacred writings, do you know how little you know in your life, how little information comes to you orally? That you retain. You're not sitting here going, and I am recording everything Evan says, applying it to my soul immediately, changing all my views as it is being said, dropping from his golden tongue. You don't. You don't have that many opportunities. As a matter of fact, nowadays, they frown on college professors who are big on lecture. Right? Because that's oh, just not fun enough. And everybody curses the day that they were told to buy that textbook that cost more than you know, a small vehicle. But the reason you have the sacred writings, because writing is a repository of what you could know. It records it in, a, in an era before recording. It's a recording that's pretty miraculous. It has a phonetic alphabet that tells you how to pronounce the words. This is actually a, like a computer uh, disc that tells you how to say the words and you got it back into oral condition because you can read the language. I may be going way too off the the point, but I want to inspire you to think that when you realize how much is restored in the book, not just this book, any book, the hymn book, the note from your wife, you begin to realize what you want to be reading is a measure of who you are. Where does your your mental program go. 
You're not going every time to what you just heard because you didn't hear that much. What you took in orally, you didn't take in that much. If you're just a creature of gossip, I did it again, I'm sorry. There's a, a, a trend in Evan's preaching to always mention gossip somehow in the sermon. I did it again. But if all you contain is the current gossip because this is what you heard, Learn, firmly believe from who you learned it, that salvation by faith because the scriptures, in the sacred writings, because the scriptures are inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You know that you were corrected, trained, saved because the message in the sacred writings, and that's what they're there for. So when you stop to say, what am I focusing on? What, how do I focus my understanding of the universe? How do I measure what is? Well, I measure it by the word of God, not just because it's a pious thing to say, but by the nature of the written word. And the nature of how I go and where, when I go to certain things and say, do I want the written word of God or do I want the written word of Sigmund Freud? Tristan and I were talking last night about writing out our thoughts about what we think about something, what we think about a key issue. Does anybody want to read yours? Ever been through Romans? Beautiful book. It's an amazing book. The clarity of thought in the scripture offered for you 2,000 years later in your language to see with clarity a focused picture of man, his condition, who our God is, and what our life should be like. And it's there for teaching, reproof, correction, for training. That you may be complete, equipped for every good work. Verse 1 of chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Listen to this. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. This is a personal letter. This is not a church letter. This is one friend, the teacher of the other, the older man who, who uh, built Timothy up in the faith. And he's writing to him, what would we expect to see? Probably the word charge would be changed to challenge. And I think we ought to have a vigilante group wearing masks, black masks, running around the Christian world. And it's when someone says challenge, you punch them in the face. I'm probably not godly. I'm just trying to think of an answer. And I was under my father's tutelage too long because he abhors the word challenge. You're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. You don't get challenged to do it. Paul is charging him to do it. And he's doing it in the name of God and Christ and the heavens and the earth and the judgment. And he's, he's, he's holding up every holy element he can and saying, you, for this reason, in the name of this, Like someone says, I swear on a stack of Bibles. I swear on my mother's grave. I charge you in the name of all that's holy. Preach the word. 
be urgent in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, be unfailing in patience and in teaching. Why? Because that's how the church will become successful. Oh, that's not the next verse. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That's why we do it. Because we won't be successful. <laughs> we do it because it is good. If you can only define winning in quantitative terms, because that's how Coca-Cola defines winning. That's how football defines winning. It's how many points you get. What are the points you get? They're going to have itching ears and they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own likings and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. But as for you, always be steady, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. It doesn't say outdo them, win, get the people back. There are elements of trying. You'd like to convince, you'd like to rebuke, you'd like to exhort. But the time is coming when that's not what people are going to do because the wicked are getting worse and the imposters are getting worse and the deceived are getting worse at being deceived. You're not here in a world that rewards the righteous. You're in a world that persecutes the righteous and rewards the imposter. What's your... Would you rather pick a church, a ministry, where you looked at its success? And how did you define its success? I would think it'd be great to, you know, say you had a ministry that, that was successful. And, and then you looked at it and said, but I, I wanted to be sure that it preached the word, that it exhorted the saints, it was urgent, it was unfailing in patience, was unfailing in teaching. It didn't occupy itself with myths. It wasn't turning away into unsound teaching where people follow it because it suits what people want to hear. Teachers to suit their own likings. Well, whatever the case, you're going to look out at the world. We're not stopping that. Paul is saying in the first century, you're not stopping that. What are you supposed to do? He doesn't say, make it stop. He's saying, fulfill your, fulfill your ministry. Be steady. Endure suffering. And then he says, verse 6, For I am ready... On, already on the point of being sacrificed. The time of my departure has come. He's in jail. He's going to die. This is his reflection on a life well lived as a Christian minister. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You've heard that phrase before. Fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. He won. Because he was not working for a world, um, worldly encouragement. He wasn't trying to stand close to success models. 
He was trying to stand close to Jesus Christ. How you view the world, this goes back to that focus, how you view what you're doing, how you view where the answers are. My father, he's still taking visitors at Good Sam, but he will ask you, when was the last time you read through the New Testament? Well, when was it? Not all at one sitting, but got through it, read all, you've covered all the words, your eye passed over that portion of the page. Christians don't read their Bibles. Most Christians don't read their Bibles. Oh, they might sit down and read a Tony Robbins book on success, but they won't read their Bibles. What are we reading? What are we believing is able to instruct us to salvation? What do we believe is able to train us to be complete, ready for every good work? Have we focused on what we're doing? And are we thrilled when God's pleasure rests on us, even though you're in jail and about to have your head cut off? That's your basic circumstance with with Paul's remarkable, successful ministry. Henceforth, and this is what he's adding up as the thing that moves him, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. That's the crown, that's the prize, that's the trophy, that's... Remember, the righteous judge, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted by the world. But Christ, the righteous judge, will award those who desire to live a good life in Christ Jesus. The righteous judge. Is that what you're... Are you happy to get that? Are you happy to say... I'm going to serve Jesus Christ all my days. I'm going to know the word of God as deeply as I can so that I can be guided in my thought, equipped for every good work, ready to help, instruct, benefit, correct, whatever it is, knowing full well that this world, as I overquote the passage in Ecclesiastes, who can make straight what God has made crooked. This is a bent place. And people are wicked. And they're going to be wicked out of the church and they're going to be wicked in the church and you are expected like Paul to be looking forward to that crown laid up for you on that day. Not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you love the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? Not love a study of eschatology love the coming of Jesus Christ. Have you loved that? Because he said, that's who this is for. The people whose goal is not the success of the church on earth, but the success of Jesus Christ coming in power and glory. We... Uh, We easily tidy up our associations with Christian terms, definitions, and contracts, covenants. And since we call this the Church of Jesus Christ, we 
want it to be successful because that means Jesus is successful if we're successful, but really it's just a hidey hole for us being successful. Rather than Christ being successful, loving his appearing, his work, his salvation. And then I have a little bit of the, his closing, which we don't often go into. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, what a rough gig this guy has. I'm sure he went to heaven. And you'll meet him there. But in every Bible study, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. How many of us could that easily describe? It's been a rough go traveling with Paul. Not a lot of money. People keep beating us up. Paul's always rejoicing in it. He's in prison. I, I, my heart goes out to Demas. It really does. But Demas's heart was going out to the world. He wanted to stand closer to what was his success. That's what you do. You stand closer to what you love. You move towards what you love. And I guess it was in Thessalonica. A normal life. I just want to pick at Fred's 2.5 children. I would rather not get beat up anymore. I surrender. I, I'm not going to be wicked. I just... Measure who you are. It's part of your focus, right? Apprehending who you are and how much you value the Word of God. In the last 10 years of your life, the parts you can remember, what did you value? What did you pursue? All of what you did with your will is what you valued. What you wanted to know. What you wrote down in a note. If you thought you saw a man escaping a murder scene and that was the car and you didn't write down the easily apprehended license plate number. I was watching a, sh a murder show the other day, true story. A guy came into a pawn shop just looking nervous to pawn a camera. The guy didn't take it, but because he looked so nervous, he watched him go out to the car and he wrote down the number of the license plate. Turned out he had murdered this woman, took her car. I kind of, well, maybe pawn shop owners are regularly suspicious, but what are you writing down? What are, what are your notes like? Like, is your life one long string of silly emoticons, or do you actually write down thoughts about the living God that you have contemplated? that you have considered that you want to have be true or truer in you than they've already been. Or you're in love with the present world. Where do you stand, to whatever degree? Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful in serving me. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come... Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books. And above all, the parchments. I've argued with Kindle fans. I will still, to my dying breath, 
argue with Kindle fans. It is not a book. It is a cheap Japanese knockoff of books. Now, well, yes, it has the information in it. I do use a, a digital Bible to print your sermon notes out, so I, I'm, I'm a hypocrite. Um, but what do we get with codices? You have a chance to value it. I have everything in the world on Leslie's tablet if I wanted it. Everything. No way of valuing it. What did you buy? What do you own? What do you sit down and open up? Not that you don't value what you read on a Kindle, but you don't know that you value it, because you can't tell the difference. Paul was very aware that the capability of man to retain everything he ever heard, kind of photographic hearing, is not likely in any of us. We are autonomous, separated from everything else. It's a miracle. Any information comes to you at all. I'm you're making these barking noises and you're interpreting them, but it's, a, it's dicey. And how much do you pick up? How much, you know, writing on the back of the sheet, what you picked up or what you underlined. That's it. But most of what I said got lost. And when we write something down, when a sermon note is printed out, when a book is purchased, when the parchments come to you, above all the parchments, the books, above all the parchments, God is not against technology. But understand, have some focus about how you know what you care about. I guess the modern mind is what tabs do you have open at the top of your browser? What, uh, what, what are they called? Links that you have up? Bookmarks, that's what they're called. Bookmarks on your browser. What are they? Go back and look at those. Saying, what is it? Is it some meme generator and, a, and some comic and um, a, a news source, um, another meme generator, um, your friends' Facebook pages, and remember the Bible's online. All sorts of translations. The Septuagint's online. Variety of translations. You can do it a modern way if you want. But how are you going to know what you've collected, what you've picked up? Paul wants to hold things, says, you got, you can, you're, going to, you're going to go where you love. Demas did. Do you care about the Lord's appearing? Do you care about righteousness? Do you understand winning is not part of the deal? But the value of the thing, the value of the thing, we write down because we do not want to forget what we know. We do not, not forget who we learned it from and what are the greatnesses of this gift that we have. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful that here 2,000 years later, we still follow your son, Seek him and his words, his teaching, his apostles' teachings, that our lives would have greater clarity, greater focus. We would know how to stand next to the truly valuable. That we'd not be suckered into a kind of religion that is an imposture. Keep us from being won away by those things. In your son's name we pray. Amen.